Well, if you would turn uh, in your Bibles once again to Matthew chapter 6, and uh, while you're turning there, let me tell you what, what a joy it is to be here. I've been looking forward to being back uh, among you this morning. Have my 16-year-old son, Ben, with me, who actually drove me here with his driver's uh, permit today. I decided if I was going to preach on the Lord's Prayer, I should force myself to pray it over and over <laughs> and over again. Not really. He's actually a very good, good driver. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, let's start with verse 5. And uh, today we're looking at uh, the, the part of the prayer that says, give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. But as we did uh, yesterday, I want us to start reading uh, in that material before uh, the prayer itself, and I want us to continue reading a little bit after so that we get the full picture here. Matthew 6, 5 through 15, and if you would please stand with me for the reading of the Word of our God. Jesus says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. May God bless his word to us this morning. You may be seated. Several years ago, I was talking to a woman who years before had lived her life as a sort of a street corner psychic, where what she would do is sit there with a table and with a booth, and people would come up, and she would read their fortunes. She would tell them what their futures were. She would go through uh, tarot cards and, and, and other ways to, to have people look into their futures. Now, I know uh, fully well that many of the people who are involved in this sort of uh, sorcery are in touch with supernatural forces. Bible tells us that. She was simply a, a fraud, uh, at that point. She was a, a shrewd businesswoman who actually did not have any contact with anything supernatural, but wanted people to think that she did. And I said to her, I'm just curious, how did you do it? How did you bilk all these people into not only having their fortunes read, but sometimes to continue coming to you over a long period of time? And she said it was really easy. Uh, she said that, that one of the things that she would do is, is similar to what will happen in a newspaper horoscope. So you just try to find something that is so broad that it could apply to almost anyone. There's some difficulty happening in your life right now. There's some decision that you're trying to make. I'm seeing someone that has a, a letter R in their name somewhere. 
Uh, and, and you just sort of move people through in this way. And she says, you'd be surprised at all of the people who will say, it's just like you're reading my life like a book. She said, but the main thing is, she said, if you're trying to pretend to read someone's fortune, she said, what you have to do is to either tell them something really good that's going to make them feel good about themselves, or you have to read something that's really bad and catastrophic that only you, with your supernatural power, can help them to overcome. So if you, if you read what it is that they want, and you tell them everything that you want is going to come to you, they're going to have a positive experience and they're going to want to give you money. Or if you tell them, I see really dark, terrifying things in your future, but if you act now, I can help you, they will give you money. She says, I, I know that, that might be hard to understand. I said, that's not hard to understand at all because I've seen prosperity gospel evangelicalism on television. And it's the same thing. Witchcraft is witchcraft is witchcraft. And if you say to people, either all of the things that you already want there is some supernatural power that's going to carry out your agenda. It doesn't matter what you call that supernatural power. And if you say there are things happening in your life that only I, by praying upon your resources, can resolve for you, then it doesn't matter what sort of power you pretend to use to resolve that. It's all the same thing. But what surprised me about what she said was she said, you know, the main thing that if somebody's going to be a fraudulent psychic, the main thing that someone should know is that people really don't want a lot. They really don't want to live in penthouses. They really don't, don't want to uh, have a private jet. They, they don't want all of those things. What people want is pretty common. People want to be able to make a living. People want to be able to have a home. People want to have someone to love. People want to see that their children and their families uh, flourish and, and prosper. People want to be happy. Uh, and those are the sorts of things that if you, can, if you can try to find a way to tell people that that's coming to them, they'll just gravitate right toward that. Now, that makes a lot of sense to me because I'm a recovering prosperity gospel preacher. Never been on TBN, don't have a private jet, never have held to the theology uh, in, in any sort of abstract way. But in my life, so often what I expect is to have written out what I want to take place with my family, with my life, with my ministry, and I want God to make sure that all of those things are carried out according to my expectations. I want to make sure that whatever sorts of difficulties and problems might be out there in the future, that God is there to just wipe those things away and make sure that they don't come against me. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
When Jesus is teaching us to pray, and he says, don't pile up those words and phrases. Don't try to manipulate God. Don't try to be seen by others. Don't use your prayer as a performance either for the people around you or for God. He says, instead, come and say, our Father. And when you get to this section, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Jesus is not changing the subject. This is one coherent train of thought. When Jesus says, give us our daily bread, forgive our debts, he is explaining what it means to say, our Father. What does a father do? A father provides, a father protects. A father gives a sense of security, and the father gives a sense of, of safety. But the problem for us, left to ourselves, is that we don't want the provision and protection of a father. We want self-provision, and we want self-protection. The prayer that Jesus teaches us and the prayer that Jesus by the Spirit prays through us tears down self-provision and tears down self-protection. Give us this day. Now, notice every piece of that. Give, open-handed, looking outside of yourself to the, to the Father. Give us, not give me. Give us. There is a sense of realizing that we're part of a body, that we're part of a, a community, that what is lacking in the one is also lacking in us, that what is hurting the one is also hurting us, that the prayer, give us this day our daily bread, is not simply about our family's budget. It's about the invisible people around us that we don't want to see or pay attention to, the widows, the orphans, the poor, those who are suffering around us. Give us this day our daily bread. What, what Jesus is teaching us here is that every single day, what is going to happen is a need for ongoing dependence upon God. Now, on the one hand, this section of the prayer seems to be the easiest for us because we all know what it is to pray for stuff that we need. As a matter of fact, some of us have a struggle because we realize how much of what we pray for is simply that. Lord, give me this. Lord, help me with this. Lord, make this happen. So it seems as though this is the one part of the prayer that we have down, but we don't. This part of the prayer is a terrible place of spiritual danger for us. Jesus says, Give us this day our daily bread, the, 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 the source of life, the sustenance that we need in order to survive. 
Jesus is using here language that has gone all the way through the Scripture, language that, that Jesus himself has used when he says, how many of you fathers, when your son asks you for bread, you're going to give him a stone? None of you would do that. Your father doesn't do that either. But Jesus has been through the desert. Jesus has had the question raised to him from the devil. Where's your food? Where's your future? How are you going to live? What father, when you ask for bread, is going to give you a stone? You said that. But look around. You're out here 40 days in the wilderness. You're driven by the Spirit. You're hungering, and all I see around you are rocks. And so the devil says, turn these stones into bread. What the devil is seeking to do with Jesus and then what the devil is seeking to do with us. The devil is not simply trying to tempt Jesus. The devil is trying to adopt him. You can't trust your father to provide a future for you. And so listen to the direction that I am giving to you to make sure that you grab your own future. He's done that before. This is at the very beginning of the biblical story when he says to the woman, has God really said you shall not eat of this tree? And when she says yes, the, the message is you're not going to die if you eat of this. What God is trying to do is to keep you from something that you need. And so God is doing something for you, keeping something from you in order to harm you and in order to hurt you. He doesn't want you to become wise and to become as gods with him. You cannot trust the Father for your future. That is the message. That is the temptation that comes to us every day single day. We want to have a sense of the future that we know and that we can count on and that we can rely on and walking day by day by faith and needing to come back and pray this over and over and over again is not what we want to do. Some of you are at the very beginning of planting churches. Some of you are 10, 20 years in of having planted churches. And in those moments when you're really honest with yourself, you know, what happens if I fail at this? What happens if these people turn against me? What happens if the Lord doesn't bless my ministry? What, what happens if all of this falls to pieces and here I am, I have no other marketable skills. <laughs> I want to know that there's a future for me. The answer to that is not to have the sort of message that a fraudulent psychic would give us. Everything's going to happen exactly the way that you want it to. 
The antidote is to have a father and to be able to trust his providence and to be able to trust his provision and to be able to trust his leading so that when Jesus turns to the devil and says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the father. Jesus is not taking a verse out of context. He's going back to Deuteronomy chapter 8. He's saying, I'm standing right in the place where God's people once stood, where they received this, ex this exact same word of temptation, not to trust their father. And the reference that he quotes says, don't you know that God has caused you to hunger here in the wilderness? so that you would know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. It's easy for us to recognize God's provision for us as His grace. It is not as easy for us to notice that the hunger itself is a grace. What we would like is to be able to move effortlessly, to be able to see all of the success and all of the fruit of whatever it is that we've been given to do. And what we don't want is to be driven to that kind of uncertainty and that kind of fear and that kind of, uh, that kind of desperation that says, God, I cannot do this. I need this from you. But that is exactly what the Spirit uses to conform us into the image of Christ. The providence that takes place in our life, the discipline that God is, is putting into our life is to drive us to those places where we do not have the illusion of self-provision, but where we are able to pray, God, only you can do this for me. And we ask for this daily, ongoingly. And we don't like that. Neither did the Israelites. God gives them bread. God gives them manna from heaven. And what do they want to do? We want to store it up. Because we want to make sure it's there tomorrow. And God says, it's there tomorrow. My word tells you it's there tomorrow. And we say, yeah, but we, we want to make sure it's there tomorrow. And there's something that's more sure than your word. And what's more sure than your word is our effort. Because then we can see it over here. And God says, yeah, and look at it. It's filled with worms. That's right. That's right. If you're going to have provision, if you're going to have bread, then the way that you get that bread is by trusting in the word of a father who says, I have your best interest at heart. And as a matter of fact, I have your best interest at heart better than you do. Because you don't even know what to ask for unless the Spirit is prompting and the Spirit is moving within you. You don't know what to ask for. And the reason that we want to store up the bread and the reason why we want to have everything mapped out and the reason why we want to have everything uh, dependable in a way that we can see it 
is because we want to know this is all going to work out okay. And God says, yeah, it's all going to work out okay. My kingdom will come, my will be, will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if you are in Christ, then not only do you know where your story is going to end, your story is already fulfilled and complete in Jesus Christ. The worst thing that can happen to you has happened to you. You've been crucified outside the gates of Jerusalem, thirsting to death and drowning in your own blood under the curse of God. And the best thing that can possibly happen to you has happened. You have walked out of the grave, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and been entrusted with the entire universe as an inheritance. That belongs to you right now in Christ. So when we are spending our lives not, as Jesus says, praying and asking the Father, but instead worrying and being filled with anxiety. What am I going to do if I get sick? What am I going to do if this church fails? What am I going to do if this spouse walks out on me one day? What am I going to do if my kids rebel against me? What am I going to do? The Scripture tells us that we do not have some people who are praying and other people who are not praying. Everybody's praying. Praying without ceasing is happening. The question is, to whom we're praying? When we say, give us this day our daily bread, our Father, hear us, then we're praying to Him. When we rehearse all of the situations and game out all of the possibilities, we're praying to ourselves. We're making an idol of ourselves. The Spirit, though, shows us and conforms us, sometimes even through our hungering, that we need to be fed. And that is always going to be the case. We're never going to be, uh, we're never going to be grown up out of that because the end of the story for us is a wedding feast, a victory feast, where we are being fed with bread and wine. And we have the grace that God gives to us of not only giving us a word that promises us that, but also showing us with the tangibility of chewing bread and drinking of the cup that continually is signifying that from our Lord Jesus. One of the problems that we have is that sometimes we assume that we know more about what it takes to sanctify God's people than God does. And what it takes to sanctify God's people is to give them information and to give them inspiration by worship. And then when we get around to it, we'll have communion. Okay, what kind of diet you want to go on yourself? Fine. But do not put the body of Christ on a low-carb diet. Jesus, when he distributes to his body the tangibility of bread and of the cup, what he is showing us is a dramatic representation of what is fundamentally true of us all the time. If we are not fed by our Father, 
with a broken body and poured out blood, we will not be fed at all. We want to provide for ourselves, and Jesus demolishes that with this prayer. But it's not just the provision. It's also here, notice, the protection. He gets to the part that's the difficult part for me. Forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, notice what's happening when we pray that way. When we pray that way, we are ahead of time calling on God to keep us from our worst instincts. Forgive me in the future the same way that I forgive other people. That's a terrifying thing to pray. Especially when the reason that it's so hard for us to forgive is because we want to protect ourselves from whatever harm people have done from us to us or the people might do to us in the future. And so what we want to do when we come to this passage is to find some way to put an asterisk there. We want to do what liberals do with the virgin birth, or we want to do what feminists do with 1 Timothy 2, or oh, we, we want to say, well, it can't obviously mean that, so it must mean something else. I, I was preaching this message one time in a church that I served, and after it was over, this really, really rough, hardened guy comes up to me after, gritting his teeth. He said, you said, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. So I didn't say that. Jesus did. <laughs> he said, well, I served in Vietnam, had a rough time there. He said, and I hate Vietnamese people. He said, and when I see people of any Asian background, I'm walking through the grocery store. He said, I immediately think, I wish that you had been taken out on a battlefield because of what I have seen done to my friends and what I've seen done to me. He said, so what's the option for me? And I have to tell you, my temptation was to say, you know, you're a lot bigger than I am. You're probably carrying a pistol somewhere underneath that jacket. <laughs> and you know, you've been through a lot. You've experienced things that I haven't experienced, and God knows that, and God understands that. And But when you're preaching through the Sermon on the Mount, and you've already been through let your yes be yes and your no be no, it's hard to do that. So I had to say, well, there's always hell. And then gulped. And he said, all right. And months went by and he gave his testimony in his Sunday school class and he said, you know what? He said, I always want to know whether or not somebody's just telling me what they think that they want me to hear. And the reason why I'm here at this church is because that little guy told me that I could just go straight to hell. <laughs> not really, but the reason that I understood kind of where he was going with this, though, 
is because I do the exact same thing. Not in the same way, not with the same context, not with the same situation, not with the, and the problem is I'm too cunning to myself to be able to say that as honestly and openly as he did. But I'm always wondering where the exit clause is there too. How can I forgive you while still holding on to a record of everything that you have done? Now, why do we do that? We do that for the very reason that Jesus says, if you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven. Gives us trouble because we say, well, salvation is by grace. How could Jesus tell us if you don't do something, you will not be saved? Because salvation is of grace. If you were to say to me, you know what, I've believed the gospel all this time, but I've decided kind of from now on out in my ministry, I want to work for it. Then I'm going to warn you, what you're holding to right now is not the gospel. That's what Jesus is saying. He says, you can see whether or not ultimately you really believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ or whether the gospel of Jesus Christ is just a useful construct for you by seeing how you respond when you, knowing that you are a sinner, having been forgiven of much, have the opportunity then to turn around and forgive someone who has done something to you. Because forgiveness is not saying this is okay. Forgiveness is not rationalizing away what someone has done to you. That doesn't need forgiveness. Vengeance is mine, God says. And so when we forgive, we are saying what you have done against me, I am going to entrust to my father who will enact justice either at the judgment seat of Christ or at the cross of Jesus Christ. And in either case, the full measure of justice is poured out, and I am not the one who will seek that as some kind of a spiritual vigilante. And I know that because I'm someone who has already been forgiven and if I can't even understand and read all of my own motives and all of the reasons why I do all the crazy stuff that I do, then how am I able to read why you do all of the things that you do against me? It's a matter of the fatherhood of God. And the reason why this is significant, why Jesus tells us to pray this, is because our lack of forgiveness is a signal to us of what God we are serving. I can sin against God and expect that God forgives me. But when someone hurts me, it becomes a kind of blasphemy. How dare you do that to me? How dare you say that about me? How dare you lie about me? How dare you do those things? That is telling us the kind of idol that we make of ourselves. And the way that we try to re retaliate 
whether we retaliate in a hot way with words or fists or whether we retaliate in a cold way of withdrawal, all comes down to a kind of Darwinist universe that says, if I don't feed myself, I won't be fed. And if I don't protect myself, I won't be protected. And dependence is weakness. Forgiveness is weakness. That is not the kind of universe that we've been called into. Because if we have been called by the word of the cross, and if we have been told to walk in the way of the cross, then we see a dependent Jesus Christ stapled between two criminals who is saying, I thirst, who is looking to the people around him who are jeering at him and killing him and saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is how Jesus rules. This is what it looks like for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And so when the Spirit moves within us and says to us, I don't need to worry and I don't need to be thrown around in anxiety about my future. Instead, I look to Jesus and say, what has the Father done with him? And I will follow in that direction. We're freed from that. And when we don't have to sit there and just mull over the things that have been done to us and instead say, whatever happens to me, my future's secure. My identity's secure. God has protected me not only from them or from that. God is protecting me from me. There's freedom in that. And it's the kind of freedom that says, give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. Let's pray. Lord, there are probably some in this room right now who are bound up with anxiety. Some in this room right now who are, who are praying uh, to themselves. How am I going to pay these bills? Or how am I going to lead this church? Or how am I going to deal with this situation? And Lord, there are probably others in this room who have been deeply hurt. Some of them have been hurt by parents. Some of them have been hurt by children. Some of them have been hurt by spouses. Some of them have been hurt by church members. Some of them have been hurt by uh, sending churches, by pastors they served on staff with at some point. There are any number of things, Lord, that, that, are, that are embedded deep within us. And, Lord, what we want to ask you is, would you cause us to be the kind of people who love you more than we love certainty and who love you more than we love retaliation and self-protection. And Lord, would you enable us to follow in the way of Jesus as little children dependent upon you, but free. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.